0: This is an ABC podcast.
1: This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti on ABC
2: Radio WA.
3: Well, hello there. How are you? Have you had lunch yet? Feeling a bit hungry? I wonder if you are tempted by a herring fillet burger. Because rather than just... Using a lot of herring just for bait. The industry now wants to get it on your dinner plate, and you'll take a closer look at that plan after half past 12. Also, after half past 12 today, you're going to meet Dennis Luke. He's an independent severe weather forecaster, and he's going to give you his take on the system coming through over the weekend and what rain it might bring for WA. And he'll also tell you how he got into weather forecasting over two decades ago.
4: My son was diagnosed with Asperger's when he was in primary school and I went to a psychiatrist and he said, yep, that's what you've got and uh, if you've got interests like you have with the weather, because I spoke to him about that, he basically said that uh, you probably don't need to go to university, you'd, you'd just be able to figure it out for yourself. So, And that's what I've done, so... That's um, that's how I'm able to figure out what the next 12 months is going to bring.
3: Dennis Luke, or the Aussie driving weatherman, as you might know him from social media sites. You'll meet him just before the markets, the Mouchet Sheep Market today, just before the news at 1. Six past 12, ABCWA, this is the Country Hour. And Australian farmers are being urged by the unions to stop hiring backpackers to harvest their crops. The Retail Supply Chain Alliance has used a review of the agriculture workforce to call on the government to abolish the backpacker visa, create stricter labour market testing and broaden the seasonal worker program. Alliance spokesman Dan Walton is also National Secretary of the Australian Workers Union and he thinks there should be a greater push to employ young people from regional and rural areas.
1: What we've seen year after year, inquiry after inquiry is backpackers that are coming over here to work in our agricultural industry have been exploited time after time. And we also find ourselves in the grip of a pandemic with huge unemployment, huge, huge regional unemployment. And we said we should use this as a starting point to change how we work in the agriculture industry and give priorities to locals getting jobs in this area first.
5: Okay, well, let's go to this issue of domestic unemployment rising. The Agriculture Minister himself recently said that Australian people who are unemployed have an aversion to going and picking fruit. What's your response to
1: that? Well, before the pandemic hit regional unemployment, youth unemployment in Queensland was at 25%. So if we're going to do anything now during this pandemic to provide opportunities for Australians, it is only going to lead to a better outcome for everyone. A lot of younger Australians have not entered into this industry because it's an industry that has grown addicted to cheap and exploited labour. And that is by bringing workers in from overseas and exploiting them and making extraordinary amounts of money (laughs) off the back.
5: We have a legal system in place to prevent that exploitation. You mentioned there's been a number of reviews and we know about a lot of these cases before because they do actually mm. go before the courts and there is a judicial system ensuring that farmers and, and employees adhere to the law.
1: Yeah, correct. But those are only the ones that we hear about. You know, The 88-day program, as it's sort of generally referred to, uh, has seen some shocking cases and shocking abuse that has taken forth. But the more important point here is we are trying to find a solution which makes sure that people don't get exploited in the agriculture industry, that those people who are picking out fruit and vegetables as you sit down and look at your plate in front of you are not coming off the back of the exploited workers and the working holiday program have, has been the center point for exploitation. What we're saying is we're going through a pandemic. We've got thousands Thousands and hundreds of thousands of Australians are out of work at the moment and we should be providing every opportunity for them to get some jobs here and the agriculture industry is a good starting place.
5: Uh, But you also acknowledge that there are some farmers that do do the right thing and you do acknowledge that that does take place, but you're also calling for a fair wage or for decent wages. Can you just explain what you think is fair, if not the the current
1: award? Yeah, so first off, does every single farm uh, exploit workers? Absolutely not. Um, There are a lot of people doing the right thing and we've met with countless numbers of farmers uh, just get constantly frustrated of those who are not playing by the by the rules what we know is the employment conditions that are in place at the moment and um, don't provide enough pathways for people to progress through and develop their skills and again when you look at the cause and the root problem you continue to come back to the current setup which is a model which allows for overseas workers particularly on working holiday visas to be exploited on cheap conditions. What we're saying is, let's enforce the award that's there at the moment. Let's provide some pathways for younger Australians to get into the workforce. Let's develop up their skills and provide more opportunities for Australians to be working in the agriculture industry, reduce that youth unemployment rate, uh, and hopefully make a meaningful difference to the fruit and vegetables that are turning up on your plate, knowing for all Australians that you are eating good, ethically sourced produce.
5: You've also called for an expansion of the seasonal worker program, including allowing more countries to be part of it and perhaps providing a pathway to citizenship. Why is that a good idea, but the backpacker program isn't a good idea?
1: Because if you've got a more sustainable model, the seasonal worker program has seen time and time again that people are coming back, particularly from Pacific Island nations, uh, coming back to continue working in the agricultural workforce. So what we're saying is we can provide opportunities for the farming community that if we cannot fill every position from local employment, uh, for local Australians I should say, um, that we would have a program in place that gives some safety nets um, that we'd have like the seasonal worker program but beefed up a bit to what it currently is.
3: AWU National Secretary Daniel Walton with Kath Sullivan and you can read more about the story online. Just search Farm Work Alliance ABC and it's on the ABC Rural Facebook page. 12 past 12. The National Farmers Federation has responded to these suggestions from the union saying, this all sounds great in theory, but farmers have to live in the real world. Fiona Simpson is the NFF president.
6: Oh, this is an extraordinary position by the unions um, and really flies in the face of all the data that's available about how much Australian agriculture depends on overseas workers, whether they're backpackers uh, or whether they're seasonal workers from Pacific countries, to get the jobs done in seasonal industries like horticulture, uh, grains, etc. You know, this industry is Australian agriculture um, and these workers actually deliver... Billions of dollars to the Australian economy, employ hundreds of thousands of people, uh, even seasonally. And for the unions to demand um, that, that that these visas be be scrapped, and that there's a uh, you know that um, there's a huge issue here, uh, and that they're appealing to the hearts, you know, that people want regional Australians to work. Of course we do, but it just shows that they don't understand um, how this all works in regional Australia.
7: So therefore, you're saying the unemployed people in Australia just wouldn't take these jobs?
6: Well, we have tried and we continue to try to get Australians to work on our farms. And and whilst we're having a little bit of success uh, at the moment with COVID on some of the farms that are closer to some of our cities, um, in terms of um, the more outlying locations where much of our produce is, uh, people don't want to leave their families. Uh, They don't want to move for a very short period of time, you know, for seasonal work, which a lot of this work is. And we also have a safety net in Australia that, uh, you know, people, if they are unemployed or if they, um, you know, can't find work, there's we, we help them out and help them to stay at home and look for work. So without the overseas workers, we would be absolutely, like we are at the moment in a lot of our, our industries, really worried about what's going to happen and who's going to pick the fruit. And uh, it would be losses of, of millions of dollars, um, not just to farmers, but of course to Australia.
7: But the unions are saying that we're seeing, you know, labour hire where people are paid basically slave wages. They're forced to live in substandard accommodation. They're physically and verbally and sexually abused. And uh, they're quite often um, uh, too scared to speak up because they know their visas will be cancelled if they do. I mean, they're legitimate concerns a union have, aren't they?
6: Well, I don't know. Look, really, we, we agree that we must absolutely stamp out any worker exploitation that is evident in our industry. Um, but you know the fact is that of the hundreds of thousands of people that we do employ on farms um, we actually do see these cases which are a small percentage keep popping up so is it rife Is it overtaking our industry? I'm not sure about that. But certainly one case is too many and industry itself wants to stamp out any exploitation. Uh, It is not acceptable. And industry has been leading the charge on this through, for example, the Fair Farms Initiative, which is a labour hire accreditation program that is now accepted by all the major retailers in Australia, but actually holds employers to account to make sure that they treat their workers fairly, pay them the right amounts, have the right conditions, etc. So. We agree that one case is too many, um, but by the same token, we need to actually focus on the issues and the outcomes we need, and to cut off this supply of overseas workers. Um, thinking that that's going to be the answer is just not the case at all.
3: NFF President Fiona Simpson talking to Michael Condon in response to the union's calls for the backpacker visa to be abolished. Sixteen past twelve here on the Country Hour, and the Federal Agriculture Minister David Littleproud wants to have his say on this as well. He says it's very easy for the union movement to have this righteous, philosophical view. But the practical reality is that farmers can't live in hope that someone's just going to turn up to harvest their crops. He makes the point that most unemployed Australians don't live near where this work takes place. And the work is only very short term. So unless the union movement wants to advocate to dramatically reduce job seeker, it's going to be difficult to match the unemployed with these jobs. And the minister says the government will continue to work with states to eliminate worker exploitation. Shadow Minister for Agriculture, Joel Fitzgibbon, has also chipped in. He says the growing agricultural workforce crisis is a sad indictment on the Morrison government, which has made a difficult situation worse, by not addressing the structural issues and allowing worker exploitation to continue. And as you might realise, every year Australia usually gets in around about 100,000 backpacker workers. This is the country hour, 17 past 12. Well, the unions will be happy to hear that Carnarvon eggplant and capsicum grower Danny Kuzmasich is certainly trying to employ more locals. He says while there are still plenty of backpackers in town at the moment, that situation could change at any time.
8: I haven't seen any major decline, but I can foresee an issue towards the end of the year. Number one, the border's closed internationally, so there's no more backpackers coming in and the ones that are here that I'm talking to they obviously travel around Australia they're here for a holiday as well as working so we've made a conservative effort to employ more locals that live here that's our risk management for that side so we've got two backpackers from Spain at the moment they're happy they're good they've uh, committed here to stay for the season so for us it's okay other people I think, might have an issue if they're solely relying on backpackers. So they need to be vigilant with with their peak bodies and stay informed and um, get as much information as they can. There's a few platforms out there where they can register and put their business name forward and request workers, uh, which the backpackers can get in contact with them. But, yeah, if they've got any doubts, I'd suggest to them that they get in contact with their peak bodies and they'll inform them in the right uh, track to take.
3: Carnarvon vegetable grower Danny Kuzmizic. State Liberals Agriculture Spokesman Steve Thomas thinks foreign workers are essential for harvesting Western Australia's produce. He'd like to see more Pacific Islanders brought into work.
9: I'm leading the call for uh, the state government to start negotiations with the Commonwealth to repeat what's been done in the Northern Territory to allow them to bring in some workers to help pick the harvest across the state of Western Australia this year.
1: Where might these workers be sourced from?
9: Well, the most obvious place is in the Pacific Islands because around those islands there has been minimal COVID infection in many places none, and there's certainly been no uh, horizontal spread. So these are uh, places that you can find effectively no risk and workers who are able to come here without putting any of our people at risk.
1: Have these workers traditionally come to Australia every year for the harvest season?
9: Well, there's certainly been an attempt in previous years to bring Pacific Island workers to Australia to assist with the picking season, particularly in Queensland, which is obviously a fair bit closer than here. Western Australia has generally relied on backpackers to fill a lot of these roles. But of course, with COVID at peak at the moment, backpackers aren't travelling around the world and so there is an absolute shortage of workers.
3: Steve Thomas, he's the agriculture spokesperson for the Liberals here in WA, talking to Toby Hussey. 20 past 12. Mora Citrus is a major WA fruit producer which has operations at both Mora and Bindoon. And at the height of picking, the company usually employs about 80 seasonal workers, 30 backpackers, and some locals. Orchard manager Shane Kay says they've had complications with all three of those categories.
10: We ran into a few difficulties at the beginning of this season with our uh, normal crew from Tonga that couldn't come over. So we had to scramble and source labour from a few different places, islanders that were working in WA already. So that causes some issues around not having experience in our type of work. So productivity was quite low. We had to bring in extra equipment and ladders and supervision and it really did cost us extra money to get the same productivity per day.
5: Time and time again, we hear people say, well, why not just employ locals? Why can't we employ Australians to fill this position?
10: Look, in the past, it's not been very good because it's such a, a seasonal type work. It's hard for people to move to a regional area just for a few months, do some work and then go back again. It's not a secure long-term proposition for Australians who might be looking for it. There might be some that will be open to that. And I'm sure there would be, you know, obviously the situation now has changed and people might be a little bit more interested in in that type of work. But in what we experienced this year with, with having inexperienced workers, our productivity was halved. So we spent quite a lot of money on buying extra tractors and trailers and bins and ladders. You know, the list goes on and on to facilitate a double of your workforce to be able to get out there and, and pick. So it takes a lot of management, administration, supervision, and equipment to facilitate those people that haven't got the experience in the role. So you know, there's a lot of other things that come into it. You know, there's certainly no objection to, to people wanting to do it, but that's the reality of it
7: it's not as cut and dry as just employing local look
10: it's basically. not you know and i think you know everybody would support the concept but i know there's been examples recently of applications for people in regional areas to do fruit picking and the uptake's been quite poor
3: Mora Citrus, Orchard Manager Shane Kay with Jess Hayes. 22 past 12. Despite those labour shortage problems, Mora Citrus is having some success with exports during this pandemic, particularly to Japan. Shane Kaye says the Japanese just can't get enough WA fruit.
10: You know, Japan's has been predominantly one of Australia's biggest export markets for citrus over the years. And it's quite a mature, established market. So it's relatively new for Western Australian exporters. But this year, we're finding that the demand out of there is is very strong. And I I think we we're looking at sort of tripling the amount of fruit we're sending there this year versus last year. So that's been good. It's been a market we've been working on for a few years now. We started off very small. And because it is a quite a mature market, you don't just walk in there with fruit and sell it easily. The clients have all got their existing suppliers and reliable. So it takes time to build that confidence up and and create relationship there but it's it's working so we're quite happy with the way that market's going
5: so when we talk about a tripling of uh, mm. exports to Japan what does that look like in terms of volume
10: yeah I look in some terms it's not huge but you know we anticipate probably doing forty containers this year versus about ten so it's probably a little bit better than than tripling but you know for us that's good increase and and it's a manageable quantity to supply you know along with the other markets, you know, I think our three top markets this year are China, Japan and Vietnam. So a little bit to Oman, but Japan, currently we've sent the most fruit there to date.
5: Can you explain to me what's driving that demand out of Japan in particular at the moment?
10: Well, I think the only real explanation that you can put it to is um, COVID-19 and the health benefits of citrus. That's all it can be. You know, The volumes have been fairly steady into Japan previous years and this, this year it's up. So... That's the only thing that we can put it down to is people's perception and concept of the, well, the very real health benefits of citrus. So purchasing is up.
3: Mora Citrus, Orchard Manager Shane Kaye with Jess Hayes and the company now exports about 40% of its produce to overseas markets. 30% of those exports now go to Japan. 25 past 12 and you are keen to have your say on what you've heard just earlier in the hour about Australian farmers being urged by the unions to stop hiring backpackers to harvest their crops. There is a story online for you if you search Farm Work Alliance ABC or just go to the ABC Rural Facebook page. A few comments on the page. Jenny says, The problem is not the farmers. The problem is the unemployed who think they have a right to choose... What they do on taxpayer funds, which they look at also as their right. Australia has created a nanny country. Those that work hard don't get rewarded. Those that sit on their bums and collect payout get rewarded. The system is all screwed up. The original idea of transitional help to find a job has become the source of income for two to three generations Waste of taxpayers' money, says Jenny. And in response to Jenny's comments, Leslie says, said like someone who actually has no idea but listens to the narrative from the government and reads the Murdoch press. No facts, no evidence, just emotional nonsense. And on the text, give you a tip. If I was on the award rates and conditions on the farm, I wouldn't be here. Serfs and lords, says Jack. This from Ron, if you pay in peanuts, you get monkeys. Mick in Albany says, Steve Thomas is deserting his unemployed fellow citizens in a big to get some extra votes. I'm sure that he'll feel their disapproval. He has little to be proud of in this matter, according to Mick. And this too, for the coming harvest, just fly Kiwis direct to Perth. We will pay for quarantine, then bring them down. They are COVID free as well as WA. Zero double four eight nine double two six zero four 604 is the text to be part of the conversation. News headlines and across to the Bureau of Meteorology not too far away. But first, just popping over to New South Wales now, where a Texas-based farming family has sold their four properties in the Riverina near Gundagai for more than $18 million. Diane and Gary Heaven, who founded the global gym chain Curves, we're expecting their 3,700 hectare beef, prime lamb and wool business would get around $15 million at auction. So they got quite a bit more than they were expecting. Ab McAllister was one of the selling agents and said there was national and international interest in the farms. But in the end, it was farming families from New South Wales and Victoria that snapped them up.
2: The property sold extremely well, but then again, they are, uh, there is a lot of inquiry out there for um, high rainfall grazing properties. And, and overall, on all the properties, we've had very close to 100 inspections. It was very busy, but the market is extremely strong.
3: In the old terms, about 9,000 acres all up. So does that work out about that it sold for about $2,000 an acre? What's the pricing there?
2: Yeah, average, it would have been just a bit over $2,000 an acre. The country, you know, as I said, a tool grazing country, there's some excellent grazing country in it there's some steeper country and there's some uh, some heavily timbered country on on the blocks but uh, overall look it it was a great price and um, certainly you know the heathen family themselves and when they first purchased the properties or the first probably 10 years ago certainly uh, made a a very good capital gain on it that's the way land is and you know i think even with the covid situation value of lands only got stronger because i think people um, when, when we had these things like this pandemic and the um, global financial crisis—you know—everything falls away. Um, you know, such as share markets and that, everything you can invest in, except the land. And, and I just feel people, um, since the, the onset of COVID, the uh, interest for land has got greater because uh, people can see they can put their money in something that never really falls.
3: And the competition for the properties was there? Was there a lot of competition, yes. and was it on the market for a long time?
2: The, the properties were only—they were actually auctioned. Um so they were only on the market for a seven week period. The interest was very, very varied. It came from everywhere it came from uh, western buyers. it came from you know all, all states uh, of australia and even a bit of overseas interest a lot of um inquiry from people already on the land uh, wanting to uh, gain more land you know for success in planning for their families and and whatnot but look it was it come from every every corner the um interest and, you know, as a show, one was bought locally, one was bought from the south and people and uh, some others, the other two properties, Wooloway and Turukawa, were bought by a a Western Grazier.
3: And property sales at the moment, is it tough to get listings? Is there, because the season's so great in southern New South Wales for a lot of people, are most people opting to hold on to properties at the moment?
2: Yeah, look, I think they are. You know, uh, we've just had the droughts and and, uh, the markets have been very good. We were very lucky through the droughts that the livestock markets kept up. Which a lot of times in drought times you don't see, and, and I think now with the turning round of the seasons and, and the farmer can see and the grazers, they can see that uh, the markets are so strong that they're going to they're going to hang in there. I don't think you'll see uh, many properties at all come on the market. You know, especially in our area, it's a it's a well sought after area where it's a high rainfall, good grazing country. We're sort of just out of the, the uh, cropping areas, and that's what people are after at the present time with the uh, with the way the livestock markets are.
3: The way the property market is, have you ever seen it better, how things are tracking at the moment?
2: No, I haven't. You know, as I said before, it's extremely strong. You know, those prices, when you work them out, they're very, very the top end. But, you know, I think eventually, you know, down the track, you'll think, well, they would cheap those properties, which, you know, I know properties that were sold three and four years ago and you thought they were were highly priced, but um, now the way the job is, um, they're not. There was a property um, not long ago sold at Cooter, and it was reportedly um, six thousand seven hundred plus an acre. Um, it was a good bit of dirt, but it's um, you know it's good money. But as I said, you know in five six years it, you could look back and say, well, that was a cheap buy.
3: There was Elder's Gundagai agent Abe McAllister with Cara Jeffrey. 2921 to the newsroom, and Jonathan Hopper here with an update.
11: Good afternoon, Belinda. The group representing live exporters says it's taking action after fresh footage of alleged animal abuse was shared with welfare regulators. The vision, which has not been released publicly, purportedly shows Australian cattle held down with ropes and brutally slaughtered in Aceh, Indonesia. The Live Export Council CEO, Mark Harvey Sutton, says the footage is distressing and has prompted some exporters to suspend trade with the abattoirs involved. Involved. The 10 network will make sweeping changes to its news division, including redundancies and in the latest cuts to affect Australia's media industry. Network 10 will centralise their news bulletins from Sydney and Melbourne. All state weather presenter positions will be axed and replaced with a national meteorologist. And the National Party is demanding changes to the federal government's planned overhaul of the university system, warning it could leave country students worse off. Regional Education Minister and Nationals MP Andrew Gee says higher costs for social studies and behavioural science courses will deter students from pathways into the mental health sector. Thanks, Belinda.
3: Thank you, Jonathan. 28 to 1 and more details on that story, Jonathan just mentioned to you the Federal Department of Agriculture investigating footage of what is alleged to be Australian cattle being held down with ropes and brutally slaughtered at two export-approved abattoirs in Aceh, Indonesia in recent weeks. Details of that for you shortly.
12: I'm Bevan Eats from
13: Management and you're listening to The Country Hour.
3: On ABC Radio WA. Off to the Bureau of Meteorology now and Noel Pusey. What can you see for the South West Land
12: Division? Hi, Brent. It's um, yeah, a little bit of uh, cool and shower conditions along the south coast and up the west coast as well. Perhaps as far north as about south. There's a Donga or so. light shower to be still continuing there but uh, the majority of the uh, the showers should fall near the south coast uh, over the next sort of 12 to 18 hours or so. Um, there's high pressure ridge developing over the gas going towards the the interior and south of that we will continue in an onshore so west to southerly flow for for the southern half of the state for the next few days and the ridge does slowly build as well. So really some, some showers mainly near the south coast but again near the west coast for, for Wednesday and perhaps even into Thursday as well before the ridge starts to dominate. Uh, Relatively light winds inland over the next few days, so uh, the chance of some uh, some morning frost through the ag areas uh, into the goldfields as well for uh, for Wednesday, Thursday, and probably even Friday. Uh, and we have another um, another front approaching uh, late in the week, uh, sort of late Friday night and Saturday morning. We'll start to see some showers develop around the South Capes, so uh, Friday evening into early Saturday, and the main frontal band again. It's a band of rain uh mid-level cloud streaming down from the northwest. Uh, really almost a repeat uh, rainfall wise at least anyway of the last system uh with some decent falls, uh moderate to heavy falls uh, likely near the uh, west gascoigne coast and also down through western parts of the south stand division but the front does move right through and brings showers once again through nearly all the agricultural areas as we extend east over the next day or so so that by sunday um the front has slipped away to the south but uh, has left showers right through the agricultural areas and the goldfields and uh, continuing stream showers and that sort of westerly flow over the uh, southern southern agricultural areas and near the west coast as well. So uh, some so more rainfall on the way over the weekend, but until then, generally near the south coast, that's the main sort of uh, shower activity, and uh, we'll see fairly clear conditions through uh, much of the rest of the south land division until that, uh, until that front moves through. And then looking a little bit further north through the... Uh, the Gascoigne the, and uh, the, uh, the northern half of the, the state, uh, yeah, the, the front will bring some showers perhaps even to the far west Pilbara coast uh, perhaps on Saturday or into Sunday, but uh, otherwise fairly clear conditions through there and uh, apart from the Gascoigne getting some rainfall mainly in the west, but uh, central parts will get some as well during Sunday. Uh, it looks pretty good up there as well.
3: And warnings this afternoon.
12: Yeah, warnings uh, at the moment. We have uh, strong wind and gale warnings easing along the south coast east of Windy Harbour. Things will clear up uh, overnight uh, tonight into tomorrow, but uh, it's all fairly fresh, so we'll see winds continuing there tomorrow as well.
3: Great. Thank you for the wrap, Noel. Appreciate that. And where was it? Mick? sent a text through. He's much happier today in Denmark. Had 19 millimetres overnight. Well done Mick, it came through in the end by the sounds. With a look at the rest of the rainfall readings around Western Australia here's Richard Hudson.
7: Yeah, up in the north and the east, in the Gascoigne region a little bit more rain again. Bulger Downs had six mills. Challa, Mount Gibson and Paynes Find all had five. And then in the interior, Warburton Airfield had six. And then in the southwest land division forecast districts in the central west, Arena and Aradale both had six. Barburton, eight. Barburton East, five. Bindi Bindi North had five. Berkshire Valley 7, Canna 8, Canterbury 16, Gatter Alert Station 5, Eredu 6, Hawathara, Moaskar and Mullawar all had 9, Durian Bay 42 over 3 days, Nabawar 6 and Unorcia 13, Northampton 9, Perinjury 44 over 4 days, Tabletop 6, Three Springs 10, Debraddon and Weylobing both had 5. In the lower west, Ancatel 7, Bickley 9, Bungendore 11, Dwelling Up 41, Kijigan Up 13, Jarradale 7, Jullamar Forest 11, Karagulla North 6, Lake Chittering 12, Millendon 5, Minston Park 7, Mulyabini 16, Mundar Brook 13, Mount Solus 15, Mushay 14, Mundaring 12, New Nile 11, Piers of the Raft Base 7. Pinjarra South had 6, Serpentine 7, 2J East 9, Waruna 17, Watning 5, Werribee 8, and Whiteman Park had 7. In the southwest region Acton Park 7, Boyan Up North 5, Bridgetown 15, Brunswick Junction 12, Bunbury 7, Busselton 5 to 6 mills, Cape Lewin 6, Cape Naturalist the same, Chapman Hill 5 to 8 mills. Collie 5, Darden up east had 6 and in that area between 6 and 9 mils. Donnybrook 5, Ferguson Valley 6 to 7 mils. Greenbushes and Henty Brook seven, Harvey seventeen, Jarrawood five, Jindong eight, Logbrook twenty three, up fifteen, Margaret River ten, Mount William thirty seven, Nanup nine, Northcliffe nineteen, Pemberton fourteen, Raven- Ravenscliff Alert Station five, Shannon twenty one and Som Creek ten, Thompson Brook and Vass Highway both had eight, Walpole Forestry sixteen, Warner Glen eight, Witchcliffe eleven, Yungarill up seven and Yordamung Lake eight, in the southern coastal region. In Albany 19 and at the airport there 15, Shane Beach 10, and Unger up 8 mils over 3 days. In the central wheat belt, Amory Acres 6, Balladieu 9, Bonnie Rock 6, Gavin 23 over 2 days, uh, Jeroma 5, Cocodine 9 or Cocodine Uh, Redlands 6, Wongan Hills the same, and just north of there, one extra mil. It's Wongan Hills north. In the Great Southern region, Boddington north 9, Franklin 7, up 5, Pindley 6, Wandering 6. So overall, another good Monday night with a chair on top.
3: Thanks for that, Richard. This is The Country Hour, ABC WA, 21 to 1. Off to Mishay before the news at 1 with a wrap of the sheep market. First, though, the federal government has today pinpointed two new areas which will be the target of a $125 million program looking for mineral and water resources across the country. Geoscience Australia will facilitate the Exploring for the Future program, which involves drilling and surveying two large areas, one here in Western Australia, and one on the east coast. It's the second part of the program which started in 2016 and originally focused on North Queensland and the Northern Territory. Minister for Resources, Water and Northern Australia, Keith Pitt, says the surveys are essential for development.
13: They do detailed analysis, geological surveys, certainly uh, testing, uh, drilling, they're looking for groundwater, they're looking for critical minerals, they're looking for that next big deposit. EFTF1 uh, had already identified more than a trillion dollars worth of reserves. Uh, We know that uh, some of those things have been critical in terms of the identification of new resources and new potential resources. Uh, There was a big one over in the Northern Territory in the last round. We now have two detailed corridors, one which runs through Mount Isa, so from the Gulf all the way down. That they'll look at in depth and in detail, and we make that data available for free. So for the prospectors out there, for those uh, companies who are out there looking for their next prospective piece of work, for the explorers, uh, this information just makes it so much easier. Uh, It's a lot more in depth and it's incredibly technical to be to be truthful, uh, but it's an important step in terms of making sure our economy is positioned not just now, but years into the future.
3: Keith Pitt, he's the Federal Minister for Resources, Water, and Northern Australia and talking to Eric Barker. 19 to 1. And as I mentioned a few moments ago, the Federal Department of Agriculture is investigating footage of what looks like Australian cattle being held down with ropes and brutally slaughtered at two export-approved abattoirs in Aceh, Indonesia. Animals Australia filed a complaint to the regulator last Friday and provided the footage as evidence of the alleged animal welfare breaches. Animals Australia's CEO, Glynis Uges, gave this statement to the ABC this morning.
5: That Australian cattle in Indonesia are still being killed via the banned Mark 1 boxes and roping slaughter should be of grave concern to all in the cattle industry. It was deeply disturbing that slaughter practices exposed in 2011 are still being used in 2020, despite the existence of SCAS. It's clear that until regulatory sanctions for breaches of SCAS incur licence suspensions, this system will not effectively protect
3: animals from brutal treatment. Animals Australia has declined to release the images or the footage to the ABC, but livestock exporters have seen the videos and some are already suspending trade with the facilities involved. Mark Harvey Sutton is the CEO of the Australian Livestock Exporters Council. He says the images are distressing and industry is taking swift action.
14: Well, John, we received notification on Friday. And since that time, exporters have been. Going through their supply chains, um, this is obviously something we take very seriously and they have taken it very seriously. so they' they're just working through now uh, trying to identify the cattle um, and determine appropriate measures that they can put in place to rectify the situation.
0: Now, if exporters have pretty much launched headlong into a, an audit of their own supply chains, how serious is this are these allegations are the complaints that have been raised?
14: Well, oh, I've seen the footage, John, and it is distressing. Certainly, the slaughter practices were poor, but these were these are facilities that are in supply chains, and there is compliance slaughter that takes place there as well. It, it, it's something that exporters take very seriously. I mean, you you look at the numbers that go to Indonesia. We we shipped about six hundred thousand there last year, and we we shipped two hundred and sixty thousand. In this calendar year alone, um, they do tremendous work in Indonesia. um, And unfortunately, this situation has arisen and um, they're they're right on top of it, John.
0: Now, you and other exporters have seen this footage that has been provided to the federal regulator. Can you describe what is shown in that footage?
14: Yeah, sure. So basically, it it, it, uh, portrays slaughter practices where cattle are roped and Uh, They have uh, their throat slit while lying down, you know, we... uh, With with no stunning? With no stunning. Um, But I should say that uh, stunning is not compulsory in in all supply chains, but that doesn't necessarily equate to um, a poor slaughter. Um, But in this situation, it it seems to have been done uh, perhaps by inexperienced staff, but uh, certainly outside of the normal controls that are in place in Indonesia.
0: How many videos came forward in this report?
14: There are a number of them. It's quite a, a, a large file with a large number of photos as well. Um, but from what I've seen, there were three, three to four animals that that were slaughtered in those videos. Um, and that's what, what I've seen so far.
0: Now, the details of the complaint. Does it give a time frame from which these these slaughters took place, and does it provide any details on the number of cattle that could have been affected?
14: Look, at this point, it seems that there um, were around ten in the in the facilities. Um, the slaughter took place. Uh, well, sorry, some of the photos were taken around the thirtieth of July, um, and some of the videos that uh, demonstrate the slaughter. They were taken on the 5th of August. So this complaint has come forward to the department quite quickly. And uh, we appreciate that because I think that's important that any concerns are raised are are raised quickly so that uh, situations can be rectified and animal welfare can be assured. And our exporters, our members have been right onto this and uh, are looking to try and determine where those cattle are from.
0: So they're definitely Australian cattle. Do you know what part of Australia they've come from?
14: It's, it's too early to say, and they certainly appear to be Australian cattle. And, um, unfortunately, the, the, some of the ear tags have been removed and, and that's why it is uh, taking just a little bit of time, John, just to, to pin down exactly where the cattle came from. But from my assessment and from what my members have seen as well, they, they certainly seem to be
13: Australian cattle
0: the SCAS system is in place to make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen. So why do we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, these, these really confronting slaughtering practices are still taking place?
14: Well, I prefer to look at it the other way, John. I think it's a demonstration that the SCAS system is working. Um, This is something that has been in place for 10 years now, and we are able to identify uh, when, when breaches happen. Now, this one has come forth from animals australia i uh, grant that but that we take all situations seriously uh, and we appreciate the fact that they passed it on so quickly but we have been putting in place these systems for 10 years with extensive training
0: yeah i uh, mean i mean the the, the claim that it pr- it shows that scas is working i don't i don't i think that's spurious because if if these the kind of practices are being allowed to take place in facilities that are a part of supply chains governed by SCAS, then that's clearly a failure.
14: Look, we have exported 600,000 cattle last calendar year, 260,000 this year. These incidents are by far uh, the exception. Um, The the numbers demonstrate that. And I think the way that the exporters are responding to this, you know, we have one member that uh, has suspended that supply chain immediately, and I expect others to follow. You know, unfortunately, this incident has occurred and it, there's not, I can't condone it, I can't excuse it, but the system does work because we have extensive systems in Indonesia where animal welfare is assured and, and this is an exception.
3: Australian Livestock Exporters Council CEO Mark Harvey Sutton with John Daly and the Department of Agriculture has been contacted for comment. This is the Country R. 12 to 1. Before the news at 1, off to Muche for the results of the Muche sheep market and an interesting one today. John Testro going through the details shortly. First, though, independent severe weather forecaster Dennis Luke says the strength of the system coming through this weekend has tapered off a bit but will still bring some rain to parts of WA's agricultural region. Dennis Luke is known as the Aussie driving weatherman across Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Dennis, you posted your latest forecast last night. What is the modelling telling you about the prospects for rain in Western Australia this weekend?
4: The the visions of the Facebook page that I've had the last three posts, you'll notice that each one has become less and less. So one of the things that you'll probably find now is that even though some places in the wheat belt will actually get uh, some more rain, which is a good thing, some places will probably say, and, and I've heard this before that some farmers say, we've had enough, thanks. We don't want any more. And others say, oh, oh we missed out and uh, last week, so a little bit would be would be nice so they 're not going to get as much as what you've had in the last two fronts, but there will be uh, enough to sort of um, keep the subsurface soil moisture intent on allowing the growth of the crops to keep going through for the rest of the year but i'm a little bit sort of unsure as to what we 're going to be getting for the next six months because of this Perceptive La Nina that's uh, starting to develop.
3: And what does that indicate?
4: Well, what it's showing me is that back in the March when I put out my long-range forecast, I actually thought that it was going to, there was going to be a La Nina, but it wasn't going to start until the middle, mid to late winter, which it has done. Um, but it's showing me that because of the area that is of most uh, interest, especially to farmers, where you have the measurement of the Southern Oscillating Index between Tahiti and Darwin, it needs to be strong to give us uh, some really decent rainfall. But unfortunately, the way my computer models are showing me that I feel that if anything, it's probably going to be a weak La Nina. But to me, a weak La Nina is better than none. So I still feel that there will be uh, good rainfall between now and the end of the year before they start harvesting. But the opposite side of a weak La Nina, which means that there could be some um, heat that could damage the crop. So it's very hard to know what's going to happen. It's it's all um, it's all theory because of computer modelling being that type of thing. It's just trying to figure out what's going to take place over the next six months. But my f- initial thoughts back in February is that the latter part of the year we'll get a La Nina as to what strength it will be. Uh, to me, it looks like a weak one.
3: Now, Dennis, can you take us back a little bit because earlier in the season there were a lot of indications from the Bureau of Meteorology in particular just saying that their modelling was showing there was going to be an (laughs) above-average rainfall for Western Australia. And, you know, as each month sort of progressed, they had to update that information because the modelling was, was changing. Take us back to your early predictions and forecasts about what winter was going to bring this year?
4: Well, one of the things that I've done for the last 23 years is that I had to figure out when was the best time to do not just a forecast for seven days or a month or something like that, or even for the whole year. It took me a couple of years to work on that. And I found that by the end of February, early March, they gave me an indication for the rest of the year. And one of the things that I learned a long time ago is that the month prior to a season will mirror the season. So I thought, okay, well, if I use that analogy in my thinking, then uh, February will tell me what autumn is going to be like. And then if I look at those three months and try and figure out what May would look like, then that be what Winter would look like, and then I'd do the same in August and I'd do the same in November. So then I'd do a twelve month forecast, and over the last twenty years, I've done a um, a yearly forecast that gives me an indication as to what to expect. And I'm usually around about seventy to ninety percent accurate for that twelve months. So I'm not really concerned about what. Um, uh, how the the weather bureau or any other bureaus around the world do their forecasting. It's just something that's um, I found that I, I could work with, and it seems to come to fruition pretty much every year. So that's that's how I that's how I do it. And plus, the other thing is that my son was diagnosed with Asperger's when he was in primary school, and I went to a psychiatrist, and he said, "Yep." That's what you've got, and uh, if you've got interests like you have with the weather, because I spoke to him about that, he basically said that uh, you probably don't need to go to university. You'd just be able to figure it out for yourself, So, and that's what I've done. So that's, um, that's how I'm able to figure out what the next 12 months is going to bring.
3: Dennis, it's lovely to meet you. Thank you for um, spending some time here on the WA Country Hour.
4: Not a problem. It's... Uh, It's always a pleasure because the more people know about what's really happening, um, the better they can make plans.
3: Dennis Luke, you can find him on social media platforms under the name Aussie Driving Weatherman. This is the Country Hour 621. And earlier in the hour, talking about uh, the big news in rural circles today, that Australian farmers are being urged by the union's to stop hiring backpackers to harvest their crops. And you're keen to have your say on that. This from Trev. Can the union please put up adverts for jobs? They just might then see how easy it is to find staff. They may just get a taste of reality. From their comments, they obviously have no idea of the current environment. As usual, comments of the problems abound but no solutions to fix it. It's so easy to complain. Broadacre Farming pays extremely well for experienced staff, so sick of union representatives putting their uneducated opinions out there. If you open your mouth wider, you might just get both feet in there, says Trev. Uh, This, the LNP want Aussies to work hard for under $20 an hour for a few months. Then what? Unemployed and with a robo-debt. Crush TAFE so people can't upskill. What a disgrace. Uh, You can have your say on the text. It nine double two six zero four, And just on the weather that Dennis Luke was talking about earlier, there is a link to this quite unusual system that's forming around Australia. And good for you to just take a look at that system. It clearly shows on the Facebook page, the ABC Rural Facebook page. You can check it out. Because it is a rare pair of atmospheric rivers that are channelling tropical moisture to both sides of the country. Take a look for yourself on the ABC Rural Facebook page. To the markets now at four minutes to one, and off to Muche today. It wasn't a great quality on offer at Muchet today, but only 3,177 sheep and lambs sold. And that is down a whopping 7,500 on last week. John Testro is at the sale. John, did that drop in numbers result in demand and prices remaining pretty high?
15: Good afternoon, Belinda. It certainly did. Um, local butchers today scrambled to procure their purchases from the few prime lambs pen. And as a result, the light and trade lambs gained $10. Heavy lambs were up by 20 But the shortage of supply kept the market firm to $10. dearer. in uh, particular hoggets, uh, they were up by $6 and boner mutton gained 10 but I'll run through some uh, prices and details for you. In the lamb market, the air freight lambs, 13 to 17 kilos, they sold from uh, 70 to 135, up $10 at near 750, cents. as were the 18 to 20 kilos at 125 to 158. Uh, the 21 to 22 kilos, 146 to 176, nearer $7 a kilo and also up 10. Heavy lambs today, they were the uh, 24 kilos pluses. They sold from 195 to 208, up $20, at uh, also very near $7. Store Merino uh, lambs to the uh, graziers. U lambs in particular up by $10. They sold from 65 to 125. With weather lambs very, very, very firm at 86 to 96. Ram lambs today to the trade, $144 to $181, up $6, as were the hoggets at $137 to $158. Hoggets near 550 dollars a kilo carcass weight. In the mutton market, uh, weathers today, $152 to $168, near 500 dollars with uh, boner mutton, 20 to 24 kilos, selling from 96 to 138 They were up by $10 at near 510 the better mutton 25 to 30 kilos sold from 140 to 165 at near $5.40 best of the rams today that's the old fellas they sold from 70 to 129 and to round it out uh, the market toppers heavy lambs 208 ram lambs 181 you mutton 165 and our weather's at 168. That covers Mew Show for today, Belinda. This has been John Testro for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service and the ABC.
3: John, thank you for going through those details. Just in response to uh, the unions calling for Australian farmers to stop hiring backpackers to harvest their crops, Kelly in Albany says, I worked on farms during my uni breaks and just loved it. Why not advertise for uni students? Capable? and willing, I'm sure, says Kelly. And Jenny has poked a few. On the Facebook page, the rural Facebook page, Jenny had said the problem is not the farmers, the problem is the unemployed who think they have a right to choose what they do on taxpayer funds, which they think is their right. And on the text, John and Jero says, read Jenny comments, I hope you and your family never have to find out what it's like to run out of work, run out of money, and need social welfare to survive because it will obviously kill you. You would never be able to stoop so low as to accept help when you need it. Spoken like a person who's never known true disadvantage. Appalling ABC to read that tripe. Bet you won't read this, says John Ingero. Thank you for that. And on the SCAS story... The breakdown in the system by the looks of things in Arche. If someone breaks the law in Australia, do we say the laws don't work or do we deal with the offender, says Richard. Time for the news, one o'clock.
1: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.